scripture is kind of interesting because what I see is uh, a concept. We work our way through the whole thing and sometimes uh, I'm guilty. I, I take little bite-sized pieces and I forget. We can lose uh, focus on the whole story. So I just want to kind of lay out the, the whole story for us. You see, what he's talking about in this section of scripture is the reality that we are all stained. We all have a uncleanness about us. Whether you're a believer or not a believer, it doesn't make any difference. It's, a, it's an inward feeling. It's that gnawing thing in your conscience. You say, oh, no, I'm pretty sure I don't have that. But then, that's not how we live. How do we live? What do we, we get up in the morning and we do our best to, to look in the mirror and make uh, us, if we're older, look younger. Or if we're dirty, look clean. We spend all our time, much of our time, a lot of our time, day in and day out, masking the stain. We, we can't exactly put our finger on exactly what it is. You know, when we were going through the book of Romans, I talked about our brokenness, that we're broken. That we're broken and we, we've offended God. And in this section of scripture, the Lord describes that brokenness in a different way. He describes it as a stain. Uh, uh, an uncleanness that is within and Jesus is going to find himself here, at once again, at odds with the Pharisees. Now that's not a newsflash, right? Those things happen all the time. But what is, he, what is it that he's at odds with? He's not at odds with them about the uncleanness of man. He's at odds about what you ought to do about it. And when we look at it, this section, when we see what God's, how God's moving and how God's working, we're going we're gonna to recognize that <clears throat> it's not about self-effort. I mean, the number one book sold uh, are self-help books. Why is that? What are we trying to fix? What are we trying to solve, right? We got all this brokenness and twistedness and uncleanness, but we don't want to just say, it's sin. So we mask it. We cover it up. We put on enough perfume, you can't smell it. We, we do whatever things we've got to do on the outside to change a brokenness that's on the inside. It's been all over the news, right? I remember buying a Wheaties box and seeing Bruce Jenner. You know what he accomplished? I don't know if you know what he accomplished. He accomplished being named the best athlete on earth. On earth. But even that accomplishment couldn't cover up the stain. And it doesn't matter what he does now. It's just more masking. It's just more trying to solve an internal problem from the outside. I've got an internal problem and I'm going to try to solve it from the outside in. And what we see in this section of scripture today is that from the outside in doesn't work. From the outside in doesn't hold doesn't fix and that's what jesus is here to to let us know you know <clears throat> i've called it a lot of things in my life i call it my brokenness my stain my darkness but i try to remember that jesus came to heal my brokenness he came to cleanse the stain of my life and to bring light into my darkness so what we realize as we look at all of these things is that Jesus Christ is the answer. It is for these reasons the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Let's look. Mark 7 verse 1 says, And the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to Him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of His disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups and pitchers, copper vessels, uh, couches. Then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders? But they eat bread with unwashed hands. So here's what we have. The traditions of men versus the authority of Scripture. In this first section, 
The traditions of men. The, the, the tradition of the elder was simple, guys. It was this. It was a group of rabbis who got together, read the word, and said, Okay, so when the Bible says, and it does, that the priest is to cleanse himself before offering sacrifices, and then after he cleanses himself, he takes a whole bath in a mikvaot, he comes out, it's like a baptism, he walks down in, cleanses himself, walks out, puts on his linen robes, he sacrifices whatever has been brought for a sacrifice, and then he'll go to the bronze laver and wash his hands. There were several ceremonial cleansings that the priest himself had to go through. What did they mean? They meant that we are unable to come to God without being cleansed. That's the point. The tradition of the elders would come together, the rabbis would get together, and they would say, okay, what does this mean? Well, what this means is, that if we're really good, and if we're really careful, and if we don't touch anything dirty, and if we don't touch anyone who's unclean, and we don't touch anybody dead, and we, and we don't go out of our way to make sure that we don't get any of that dirt, or uncleanness, or sin that's out there on us, then, then we, we, we can keep ourselves clean. But just in case, just in case we touch some of it and we got some of that sin on us, then we got to make sure that we always go through the same ritual cleansing. And they actually believed it was the cleansing, the water that made them clean. They didn't realize that the water, all throughout the Old Testament, guys, is really simple. People struggle with understanding the Old Testament all the time. Let me tell you how to make it easy. Put Jesus in the middle of it. Whatever's going on. I don't care the craziest judgment, death, all the nutty fighting, whatever you want to look at. What is that all picturing? That man needs a savior. That man left on his own is stuck in a place of violence and debauchery and hatred and hurtfulness toward one another. Until we have a savior, man needs a savior and God has come to save. It helped everyone to look. Do you put Jesus in the middle of it all? All of it. So, they, they, they thought that this washing made them clean. So when the Pharisees see the disciples, it's not that they didn't wash their hands or they had mud or dirt all over them and they were eaten. Although, you know, you can't always wash your hands. My wife thinks that you can carry one of those, what do you call them things? The hand sanitizer? She's like the hand sanitizer queen. Well, I don't know whether they work or not, but I, all I know is that my, now my hands smell like alcohol before I eat. But <clears throat> the, it's not that the disciples didn't wash; it's not that they didn't uh, uh, had dirty hands, but they didn't go through the ceremony. The ceremony that was put together by the tradition of the elders. The tradition of the elders would be like a book that went along with the Bible that explained the Bible and what the Bible meant. And actually, the tradition of the elders began to supersede the authority of the Bible. So then, if you really wanted to obey the Bible, what you had to do was obey the tradition of the elders. And so Jesus finds himself at battle between the authority of Scripture, the authority of the tradition of the elders. <clears throat> it's interesting when we look at this that we remember that Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh, right? The Word made flesh. So we, we look at Jesus as He's... As he's dealing with their tradition, he wants to re them to recognize and understand that it's not something on the outside. It's not something from outside of us that makes us unclean. Sin is not on the outside working its way in. But that's how they thought. So here's what Jesus had to say about them and their traditions. Look at verse 6. He answered and said to them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So it's not a new problem. That means it was a problem in Isaiah's day. Isaiah's also dealing with the problem. But let's, let's just look at it. Think about what he's saying. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, This people honors me with their lips. So they go through the motion, right? But what is missing? It says their heart is far from me. So what does, that, what does that intimate? What are they missing in their worship? What are they missing in their obedience? What are they missing as the motivation behind what, why they do what they do? They're missing love. 
They're just doing it so that they can be made clean. A lot of people live that way in the church. They think, I got to follow these, this set of rules and regulations, this idea of the tradition of the elders. And if I follow that, I can put myself in a place where I'm in a good enough standing with God that He'll bless me. So what is it that we're thinking? We're thinking that we're cleansing ourselves. We're thinking like the Pharisees, it sins on the outside. It's out there in that dirty world. And so as a result, we isolate and we do our best to inoculate. Just one small problem. You're the problem. Not everybody out there. The problem is internal. Jesus is bringing out the idea of motivation. Why do you obey me? He's not saying, I don't want you to follow the law. He's not saying, I don't want you to be obedient to the things that God says. He's saying, you do it with your lips, but your heart's not there. You don't do it out of a, a, out of a love relationship with me. He says in verse 8, For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things. So he said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. So he says, it's, it's, now it's become the loopholes. What loopholes? Here's what God's Word says, but here's a loophole. And then he gives us one of them, right? He says, the Word of God says, honor your father and mother. The Word of God says that if somebody in your family was destitute and in need, they would come to the kinsman redeemer, the, someone of near family rank with them. And they would come and they would say, I need some help. And you were obligated by God's word, if you were able, to help them. You were obligated to help your family. To take care of those needs. But there's a problem. There's a stain inside us. There's a brokenness. There's an uncleanness. There's a self-centeredness within us. So the Pharisees said this. Well, look, if you just promise that all your goods are a gift to God, then you don't have to do it. So when that family member comes to you that's struggling and is in need, you can turn them away and say, you know, I really would like to help you, but everything that I have, I've given to God. Now, more often than not, in their society, the family member coming to them for help was their elderly parents. So it gave them the right to turn them out and to negate the commandment of God, which said to honor your father and mother, which, by the way, doesn't have an end date on it. It doesn't say, honor your father and mother until you're 13. And then you'll realize that they don't know anything at all. And so you don't have to honor them anymore. And then later on, when you're 35 or 40, you realize they did know something, you can honor them again. That's not what it says. It doesn't say honor them if they're a believer. It just says honor them. Give honor, the honor due your parents. Well, that's what God's Word says. And God wants, us, God wants us to follow that. God wants us to be obedient to that. But why? What's the motivation for it? If the motivation is to manipulate God or control God or get God to do something for you, as a result, then you're just like the Pharisees, honoring Him with your lips. But your heart is far from Him. God wants one thing. Deuteronomy chapter 6, in the great Shema. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one God, and you shall, do you know it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, Jesus said, mind and strength. Everything that is in you to love God. God wants a relationship. He wants a relationship with you. He wants a relationship with me. This is what it is. That God is looking for. So the scripture that we see. That, that's laid out for us here. It said. The Lord is saying. I want you to obey the word. Because I want intimacy with you. And that's how we have intimacy together. In fact look at Romans 5. 6 through 8. Romans 5. 6 through 8. Says this. For when we were still without strength. In due time. Christ died for the ungodly. Who's the ungodly? Oh, good. I'm, I, I, sometimes I'm worried that people don't know who that is. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. 
Perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated His own love toward us in this. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us. When we look at the life of Christ, the Word made flesh. I just want you to consider, as we, as we kind of build on the idea, okay, the traditions of men, the lip service, and the commandments of God under heart service. And what's an example of that? I mean, we aren't very good at having examples like that. How, what's that look like? What's that look like practically? So I just want you to look at the life of Christ for a minute. Just consider Jesus. You know what his favorite thing to say was? It is written. It is written. Over and over again. When faced with the, with the struggles and the trials and the battles of life, his response would be, It is written. He, he had a love relationship with the Word. He had a love relationship with the Father. So what happened in the temptation? The devil comes to him. How does Jesus respond? It is written. When Jesus is carrying the cross, I just want you to think about this. He's carrying the cross, uh, <clears throat> the darkest day in human history. He's, his his lifeblood is, is leaking out of him everywhere. He's uh, sapped for strength. Uh, and he falls. And when he falls, he sees a group of women there. What do you say then? What do you say on that? Your, your most, most stressful time, your most stressful moment, your life being washed away, what, what will you say in that moment? You know what Jesus said? It is written. He quotes out of Isaiah to the women who are standing there. But that's not the last time he does that. They pick him up and they nail him to the cross. And they lift the cross and drop it into the ground. What does he speak from the cross? Psalm 22, verse 1. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 21, 1. The thoughts of Christ on the cross. Written 800 years before crucifixion was invented. What about when he comes to the end of that time? It's all over. What does he say? Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Another quotation from Psalms. When you find yourself in your most stressful, most wore out, whacked out moment, when everything's gone crazy, when you're working on something and you take that hammer and you bring it down right on your thumb, what comes out is what's in your heart. What came out of Jesus was the word. You cannot <laughs> express what you do not possess. If it's not in me, then it won't come out of me. Outside in doesn't work. It's got to be inside out. That's how God affects real change in our lives. So, we're talking about that concept. I, wanna, I want to understand, okay, I want to love God, so uh, keep His commandments. Look at what the Bible says, 1 John 5, 3. It's, it's, not a, it's not a new thing, but sometimes we struggle with concept. So look at it. 1 John 5, 3 says this, For this is the love of God. So I love it when I'm thinking to myself, what is the love of God? What does it mean to love God? I love finding a verse that says, for this is the love of God. The rest of the verse is, 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 is less impactful, I guess, because it's not quite as simple. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. That word for keep, that we keep His commandments is, is a, a word that can also be translated treasure. 
value. It's important. It's something I cling to. It's something I think is important. And it really brings about the concept of, of being in a love relationship. Just think about being in a love relationship. If you're, if you're married, if you've ever had a boyfriend or a girlfriend, if you ever had somebody that you felt you were in love with, let me give you a hint. You do not have a love relationship if you're constantly offending the other person. <laughs> Is that a newsflash for anybody? If you're constantly offending the other person, that is not a love relationship. Just think about it. We want to, this is the love of God that we keep, that we treasure, that we value His commandments. Let's say that another way. This is the love of God that we treasure, that we value the Word. Well, let's say that another way. This is the love of God that you treasure or value the Word made flesh who dwelt among us. And this is the love of God. You love Jesus. He is the Word. When I'm in a love relationship, I go out of my way to find out what will delight the other person. What can I do to delight them? After 30 years of marriage, I might look more for how to annoy them. But that's not how it started. That wasn't the beginning. In the beginning, what was it? I want to know everything I could possibly know. Look. Kathy and I still have all the letters we wrote to each other when we first fell in love. When I went to the Marine Corps, and all I wanted to do was see her face instead of that ugly drill instructor yelling at me all the time. I wrote every single day. Every day. I might not have wrote a lot, but you, you know... I have Firewatch, and it's the craziest thing. You have Firewatch in a block building that has never burned down in the history of the earth. But you have Firewatch, so you're up watching in case a fire starts. Is there any open flame? No. Electricity? Not much. Not much. But we have Firewatch, just in case. So on Firewatch, instead of watching for a fire, all of us wrote letters. We sat down and, and killed that hour of time, whatever we had, and we'd write letters Every letter that I got, I read. I read once, I read twice, I read over and over and over because I wanted to know her. I wanted to know what delighted her. I wanted to know what I could do to make her happy. My failure in doing so is not a result of, or or is only a result of the stain within me, the brokenness inside of me, sin that lives in me. Because self-centeredness comes up eventually all the time. So in my love relationship with Jesus Christ, don't I want to know what delights Him? Don't I want to know what really pleases Him? And in knowing those things, don't I want to do it? Is it really a burden? Do they have to pass a law that tells me to love my children? I I just want to love them. They have to pass a law to tell me to love my wife. I just want to love my wife. Love always does more than the law. All the time. So if I want to love God, not just lip service, I want to love Him. I, I, want to, I want to be in the category that says I don't honor Him with my lips and keep my heart from Him, but my heart is given over to Him. I want to honor Him. So I'm going to keep His commandments. I'm going to treasure Him. I want to know who He is and, and what it is that He lo- looks for and wants in my life. And I want to put that stuff inside of me. How does a young man cleanse his ways? How does he keep himself from sin? The Bible says in Psalm 119, by paying heed to your word, by hiding your word in my heart that I might not sin against you, by putting it in, not outside in, not do, 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 but putting it in, getting it inside of me, where the stain is. Look, you cannot follow Jesus and reject the basis of his life. Just think about that for a minute. You cannot follow Jesus and reject the basis of his life. The word is the basis of his life. You cannot follow Jesus and reject the word. You cannot follow the word made flesh and reject the word at the same time. Can't do it. 
With God, it's all or nothing. Everything or nothing. And what He wants is all of us, right? All of our heart. Everything that is inside of us. So we need to adjust our life to the authority of God's Word. Of the authority of God's word. We want to pour God's word in our life because God's word is a reflection of the character of Jesus Christ. And we want to love Jesus. And we don't want to just try to clean ourselves from the outside by doing all this stuff. We want to do it because we love Him. And if you don't love Him, then you don't know Him. Because to know Him is to love Him. If I know Him, if I know who He is and what He's done and how He's accomplished His work in my life, then, then I want to love Him. I want everything that He has for me. I want to I be able to see everything that He is, all that He is about. Well, look at verse 14. As the story goes on, it says, And when He had called the multitude to Himself, He said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. Is that true? Because a lot of times in the church we act like it's not true. Been a few times. I had a few meetings in my life since being a pastor. About them dirty sinner babies. Do you know that right now in Sunday school there are kids who are lost in there? Hmm. You know they bring with them some crazy worldviews and ideas. You know, I'm just sure that all the sin that's on them might just cross over to your sparkling clean son or daughter. Oh, wait a minute. What did the Bible just say? Sin's not on the outside. Where's it at? You cannot inoculate your children from sin. You can't hide them from it. You can build a wall around them and keep them inside a little bitty room as long as you want. And they will sin in the room. Because sin is inside them. It is in their heart, born in their heart. That's biblical. It's called original sin. They don't got to learn it. I have to teach a child what to do. I do not have to teach a child what not to do. What not to do just happens automatic. What not to do happens, it flows out. Where does it flow out? Oh, it's those people they're hanging out with. You know, it's them crazy neighbors over there. They don't ever go to church. They listen to that crazy rock and roll music. They do all this crazy stuff. And, and that has infected our children. Really? Nothing can infect your children that is not already there. It's there. It's, am I saying don't watch over them? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying sin is already there. And if we ignore it and assume that if I just do everything right, and I do everything the right way, then they're not going to struggle with sin. You're living in an unrealistic world. Sin is in there. The thoughts are in there. The struggle is in there. So how is it that we should train up a child in the way that he should go? How is it that we should train up? Not by pretending that he doesn't have sin. Or that she doesn't have sin. Or that the problem with sin is always out there somewhere else. But to recognize the reality of sin is inside me. It's in me. And that needs to be dealt with in me. It's got to be dealt with in me. But we get the idea sometimes that it's, it's out there. Out there is just as broke as in here. You guys know that, right? I mean, surely you read the statistics. 50% of marriages out there fail. How many in the church? 50%. Why is that? That, that sin out there is getting it. It's rubbing off. No, the same sin, guys, same sin out there is in here. It's in here. There's a stain. There's an uncleanness. There's a struggle. Nothing that enters a man from the outside can defile him. 
Nothing that enters a man from the outside. Anything that enters a man from the outside is meeting a need or a desire that's already there. We, if you guys want a case in point, look at Judas. The Bible says that Judas, uh, somewhere around John chapter 13, that Judas is finding himself in a place, uh, he's ready to, to betray the Lord, and it says Satan uh, placed it into his heart. Satan had already placed it into his heart to betray the Lord. What the scripture indicates is that there was a, there was a, uh, a draw within the heart of Judas to the desire of Satan. That they wanted the same things. And because they wanted the same things, the desire of Satan found root, a home, a place to grow, to go to seed in the heart of Judas. Later on, four or five verses, Satan enters in. But the first part was Judas had a desire for the same thing that Satan had a desire for. To betray. It was already in him. It's already inside. But the things which come out of a man, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears, let him hear. Just think about what comes out. What is expressed out of your life? What is expressed out of your life is what's in your life. The dark things that come out of our mouths... The things that come out when we're stressed and we're, and we're dealing with hardship. That's what's in us. And that is the stain that Jesus Christ wants to work on. That He came to cleanse. That's the brokenness He came to fix. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Let him who has ears hear. Verse 17, He says, So, When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him, because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach? So what did he just say there? I'm not trying to use this as a proof text for what food you can eat, what food you can't eat, what things you can do, what things you can't do. What am I trying to say? What's he saying? What is the point that he's getting to? What comes from the outside doesn't hit your heart. What you eat does not hit your heart. What you bring in is brought into your life because of the desire that's already in your heart. That's the point that Jesus is getting to. Look, what he, look how he says it. <clears throat> he says that it, it doesn't come in. What comes in goes through the stomach and is eliminated. We sin because we sin in our hearts. We don't have to learn it. We just do it. The stain, the darkness, the brokenness is in there. We don't get it from our food. We don't get it from a bad influence. We don't get it from anything else because it's already there. It's in me. It's in you. It's in us. And outside in doesn't work. The Pharisees had all them washings. But Jesus said, you are whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. You look good on the outside... But outside in doesn't change your heart. Think about what Jesus said. If your right hand causes you to sin, do what? What's the first phrase? If your... Oh. If your eye causes you to sin, do what? Pluck it out. Now, by what we're looking at in Scripture right now, did your eye cause you to sin? Did your hand cause you to sin? And I can't cut out my heart. Now what Jesus is telling us in Mark chapter 9 is you've got to deal with sin. I'm not saying we don't got to deal with sin. You absolutely have to deal with sin. But you cannot deal with sin from the outside in. You deal with sin from the inside out. You deal with sin from the inside in here. Jesus said, before you take a speck out of your brother's eye, do what? Take the log out of your own. What's he saying? What's he saying? I've got to deal with who first? Oh, me. So I got to deal with me. Trust me, you start doing that, you'll be so busy, you won't have time for anybody else. I got to deal with me, my issue, my problems, my sin, my stain. It's inside of me, and I need to deal with it. I need Jesus Christ to do a work. I need Him to do the work. Look at verse 20. It says, and He said, What comes out of a man that defiles a man? For from within, out of the heart of men, listen. Proceed evil thought, adultery, 
fornication, murder, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All the evil things come from where? Within. All these things come from within. We try lots of things from the outside in. We try religion, a lot of rules, like the Pharisees had. And we try to follow all those rules, but the outside in doesn't work. Oh, maybe you're not even religious. You, and, and, and you try politics, right? Uh, communism will work. Socialism will work. Marxism will work. Oh, wait a minute. What happened with all the systems? Capitalism. What happened with them all? Nothing. Does it fix? I know. We need to educate people. If we could only really educate people, they'd stop killing each other. Oh, well, I don't know. We've been trying to educate people for a long time, haven't we? And I turn on the news and there's guys in black pajamas cutting people's heads off on the news. So, well, but we haven't educated them yet. Well, maybe you should go. Outside in doesn't work. You cannot legislate the heart of man. It's all, an, it's all an attempt to fix what's wrong with us. We need more education, that's what's wrong with us. We need, we need more isolation, that's what's wrong with us. We need more of this, or we need more of that, or we need more of the other. And all of it is at work from outside in trying to change the heart of men. But the problem is not what's going on on the outside. The problem is not the political system. The problem is not the educational system. The problem is not all those other things. The problem is the heart of men. The heart of man is deceitful and wicked. And who can know it? The scripture declares God knows the heart. Who's the only one that's actually authorized to be able to take your heart of stone and turn it into a heart of flesh? According to Ezekiel, it's the Lord God Almighty. That God has to do it. Inside out, not outside in. Look, I'm not saying we shouldn't be a part of social programs and trying to help people and do all those things. Those are important, but they will never change the heart of man. Will never change the heart of man. But the thing Jesus called us to do in Matthew chapter 28, to go to all the world, making disciples of men, will that change the heart? And if we do that enough, will that change our towns? Our, what about our counties? Will it change? We, we can complain. You can get on and complain about about this person or that person or these criminals or that criminals or why the cops do this or why the cops do that or the church could do what Jesus Christ has asked us to do and bring the gospel which is that which works from the inside out. And when it changes the heart of a man the world of a man will change as well. Won't it? Well let's look. I always think Jesus is the answer to everything. So, when I look at this concept, last, last two things I'm going to share. Jesus is the stain master to me. He's, uh, he's, the one able, <laughs> he's the one able to get it out. To make me clean. So, if there is a concept like this, it should be found in the Old Testament and the New Testament. We should be able to see it. So, let's see if we can tie it together. The high priest throughout the Old Testament was required one day a year to go into the Holy of Holies, right? Yom Kippur, to receive the forgiveness for the nation. So let's talk about how that occurred. This is what he would do. He would go down and, and wash himself. Well, first he would take a week. Separate himself for a week. Because if he was still with his family during that last week, there'd be fights and scuffles. And he'd have a hard time keeping his mind clean. So he'd separate himself for a, uh, for a week. Isolated. They would bring him the food, making sure all that food was clean food, nothing unclean brought to him. He'd go through all the ceremonial washings to prepare his heart, reading the word and praying to make his heart right. Then, the night before, he'd stay up all night. He wouldn't sleep the night before at all. He'd stay up all night long, and he would read and pray to prepare his heart and mind for the next day's event. Next day's event, he would get up, he would wash, he would put on pure white linen, He would go down to the 
Holy of Holies, he would make a sacrifice, bring that blood into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle it on the mercy seat for his sin. Then he would leave and he'd go back outside and he would take a complete bath and he'd put on a whole new set of bright, white, clean linens and there would be another sacrifice and he would take that blood into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle it for the sins of the priesthood. Then he would go back outside and he would take another bath and he would put on pure, white, clean linen and he would walk inside with the blood of the sacrifice and sprinkle it for the sins of the people. And all the while the people were watching and they're clapping. It was, a, it was an event. They're excited to see the atonement of their sins taking place by the high priest. But how did God see all that? Great scripture, and I probably won't have time to go through it all. Pretty sure I won't. In Zechariah chapter 3. But I'm going to hit the highlights for you. In Zechariah chapter 3, Zechariah the prophet is brought into the Holy of Holies to see Joshua the high priest standing before the Shekinah glory of God. And you get a chance to see what was going on on the flip side while all that was happening. Here's what it says. And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you. The Lord has chosen Jerusalem. Rebukes you. Is, not, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed in... What's it say? Whoa, did I just tell you it was perfect pure white? There's no way the Jews would let him into the Holy of Holies with filthy garments. You know what the word for filthy there is in the Hebrew? Excrement. So just so you get an idea of how filthy we're talking about. So, it is as though the high priest is standing there covered with human excrement before God. Satan's there to accuse him. The angel of the Lord is saying, oh, this is a brand plucked from the fire. And he's clothed, and just about the time he's ready to despair, he's clothed, he's filthy. It says, it was answered him, and he spoke to him who stood before him and said, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity, your sin. See, I have removed your sin from you, and I will clothe you in rich robes. So he takes off the filthy ones, and he puts on the clean. And a clean turban was placed on his head, and clean clothes on his body. But in verse 8, he's given this word. It says, Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch, the Natser. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, a stone with seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave the inscription, says the Lord, and I will remove their iniquity in one day. Who's he talking about? The stone not cut out with hands. The chief cornerstone. He's talking about Jesus Christ. Everything that was pictured in the high priest that that said that we need cleansing was also going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Only when we see Jesus Christ fulfill it, just picture it for a moment. It's exactly, almost exactly opposite. Well, I mean, the last week he starts to separate himself, sets his face like Flint to go to Jerusalem. The last night he stays up all night, right, praying, just like the high priest did. But there wasn't a group of crowd of people out rooting him on, was there? There wasn't a crowd of people saying, hey, come on, you can do it. We believe in you, Joshua. You got this handled. Joshua, Joshua, Yehoshua. You know what that means in Greek? Jesus, same name. Interesting, no? What about the, the bath? Did Jesus have a bath? Yeah, he had a bath. And human spit. When he stood before Almighty God, he didn't hear, take his clothes and give him clean. What did he hear? Nothing. For for the first time in the history of the triune God, the Father turned His back on the Son. And Jesus said from the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
Because everything that was put on Joshua to make him clean, all the stuff that had been taken off of him was put on Jesus. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Everything was put on Jesus Christ that had been taken off of Joshua. He took our penalty. He took our punishment. He took our stain. The only thing that cleanses us from the inside out is the gospel. The good news. What is that good news? The good news is that God, through Christ, at infinite cost to Himself, will by faith clothe us in costly garments, removing the stain. He loves us, and we are beautiful in His sight. That relationship makes me clean from the inside out. The work of sanctification is a process and Jesus Christ begins the work by moving inside of me, but He continues that work. Day in, day out, making me clean. In Ephesians chapter 2, last I'm going to read this section of Scripture and we'll pray. All the things that we've been talking about, all the stuff that we've been discussing about lip service and real service, a heart for God, being lost in the darkness but being brought to the light, all that stuff is talked about in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 10. I'm just going to read it. And we're going to pray. But this is what God wants to do in the hearts and minds of anybody who's been trying to do it on their own and doesn't realize that what they need is the Lord of the universe working inside of them. Not trying to do it from the outside in. Ephesians 2 verse 1, And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And He raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone would boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank You for the truth of Your Word and what Your Word declares, Lord God. And Father, I'm just so amazed and overwhelmed that while I was up to my neck in my selfishness, stained by sin, covered in all kinds of filth, you looked down from heaven and the word says you loved me so much you gave yourself so that by your stripes I could be made whole. God, you do that work from the inside out. And what you call for from us is a surrender of the attitude that says I can do this myself. A surrendering of who I am and what I think, what I know. 
that I surrender it all for you. To grab a hold of you by faith. To put my trust in you. My hope in you. My future in you. Everything that I am found in you who was willing to become sin for me. So that I could become righteous in you. Lord God, I pray that you would move in this place in a mighty way. For it's our desire, Lord God, to celebrate. Not our sinfulness, not our brokenness, not our stain or filth. But to celebrate that you, by your Son Jesus Christ, have cleansed me and made me whole. We celebrate celebrate your amazing grace. We celebrate your amazing love with which you loved us. That when we were yet sinners, you died for us. We celebrate the truth and reality that you cleanse us from the inside out. And we celebrate, Lord Jesus, the opportunity that we have to lay hold of all that you have for us by faith. That we repent of who we are. And we call on your name. We repent of what we have been. The stain, the sin, the problem, the the attitudes within us. And we confess the Lord Jesus with our mouth. For if we confess the Lord Jesus, then he will save us. We repent, our heart is made right before Him. God, You do an amazing work in and through Your people who are willing. May we, Your people, recognize that it's not a work that I have done. It's not a way in which I wash my hands. It's not the way in which I dress. It is the object of my faith. And I pray that the object of our faith is Jesus Christ, the righteous. And we give you all the praise and the glory due your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.